Hello, and welcome to the Park Baptist Church Podcast with Pastor David Blakely. Our goal is to preach the Word of God in a real and authentic way, so you are filled with the Spirit to guide you through life each and every week. To learn more about Park Baptist Church, visit parkbaptist.com. And now, Pastor David Blakely. Today, I want to talk about loving God. You know, we talk a lot about the fact that God loves us, and and we should. That's a very uh, appropriate thing to talk about. But we are also to love God. And in the Broadway play, My Fair Lady, which, okay, I'm showing my age by the fact that I'm even using that as a reference, there is a a scene where the the lady by the name of Eliza is being courted by a young man and every day he writes her love letters and just he he just keeps pouring on the love letters but for her that's not enough and in a song from the the movie or from the the play uh, the song is called show me and Eliza cries out. She's so frustrated. And she says, words, words. I'm so sick of words. Don't talk of stars burning above. If you're in love, show me. Don't talk of love lasting through time. Make no undying vow. If you love me, show me now. And it's, it's easy to say, I love you. But Real love shows. Real love demonstrates itself in action. It proves itself. Jesus said that the greatest commandment is that we are to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and we are to love others as ourselves. Those, those two commandments when we, when we put those together, if we can accomplish those two things, then we are living the Bible. Now, how does love show itself? How, how does love prove itself in action? Well, I invite you to, to join with me in Mark chapter 12. And in Mark chapter 12, in order to understand the context, Jesus has been teaching in the temple. And the religious leaders are really after Jesus. They're really trying to figure out some way to discredit him. He has frustrated them. He has challenged them. He has questioned their their leadership. He has questioned their integrity. And, And so there is a lot of tension, a lot of anger going on. And... They have been asking Jesus questions after questions, trying to trying to, again, poke holes in in who Jesus is, trying to um, shame him or discredit him. And they have asked him questions like, you know, to in order to prove his authority to teach. The Pharisees have asked him questions about taxes. Uh, The Sadducees have asked him questions about the resurrection. Uh, The scribes had asked him a question about the greatest commandment. And so Jesus says, all right, 
right, you guys have been asking me questions. Let me ask you a question. And in Mark chapter 12, beginning with verse 35, it says, as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, how can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself in the Holy Spirit declared, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself called him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. So, so Jesus is asked them this question. Now, they are not wrong in teaching that the Messiah is a descendant or the son of David. And yet in Psalm 110, which is what Jesus is referring to here, um, Jesus says, well, if, if the Messiah is the son of David, how can he also be the Lord of David? In their way of thinking, they, they just couldn't get their minds around that. Well, there's only one answer. The Messiah is God in the flesh, and he is the God-man, Jesus Christ. We're about to celebrate Christmas, and, and actually, in, in one of the songs, I don't know why I always do this. Um, w w in one of the songs that we just sang, Jesus, we referred to Jesus as Emmanuel. Emmanuel literally means God with us. And so Jesus is God with us. And because Jesus is God with us, then he is the Lord of David. But because Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary and her lineage was traced back up through to, to David, then he is also a descendant of David. That way he is both the Lord and the descendant of David. So, the point being, Jesus is God, and Jesus set his deity aside. He came in human flesh to save sinners, and, and that, that's something that the teachers of the religious law just flat out could not could not accept. They could not get their, their minds around it, and they would not accept the fact that Jesus was their Lord. Now, if we truly love God, then we will exalt Jesus. We will lift Jesus up. We will worship Jesus. Unlike the religious leaders in Jesus's day, we must worship Jesus as, as God, as, as Christ. We will submit to him. And Jesus, is, Jesus himself said in John 14, if you love me, you will do what I say. James tells us to be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. Now, this is, this is important for us to, to, to get our, our minds around. We are to be worshipers of God, worshipers of Jesus. Back in 2009, the country of Fiji was experiencing some political turmoil. How on earth Fiji 
can have any kind of turmoil, I, I'll never, I mean, gosh, what a beautiful place, you know, uh, how can there be any problems there? I, I'm sure that even the trash doesn't smell bad in Fiji. Um, but they were having some political unrest. And every year, the Methodists in Fiji have their big annual convention. And before their convention begins, they always have a massive choir, choral competition festival. And there are like 10,000 people that participate in this big choral event. Well, during the summer of 2009, fearing political unrest, the government said no choral competition this year. There, there will be no choir. There will be no competition. There will be no gathering together. According to the news reports, it says that the government feared the conference and the singing contest would lead to further political instability. You know, there's nothing like singing Methodists to get the government nervous. <laughs> now, we, amen. Um, now, we, we laugh about that, but maybe the government of Fiji understood something that we are missing. And that is that if we as Christians really worship the Lord, then we would be dangerous. We would be dangerous from a spiritual standpoint because when we honestly are worshiping Christ, it's going to upset the world systems. You know, it, it is revolutionary. It is subversive because what we are doing is we are declaring our allegiance to a, a government, to a kingdom other than the, the worldly one. You know, it, it was a common charge back in the first century church that that the Christians were being subversive to the Roman government because they were worshiping a king other than Caesar. Now, we are citizens of another kingdom, and it is the kingdom of God. And when we exalt Christ as our king, we make certainly spiritual leaders nervous, but it also makes even world leaders nervous because it threatens their power because we are choosing to give our allegiance to another king. You know, we are choosing to adore someone that is beyond this, this world. And just as it threatened the, the power of the, the religious leaders in Jesus's day, you know, that, that's why they were trying to get rid of him was because he didn't bow down and, and fall in line with what they wanted. And I want to say, I love America. But as this nation moves further and further to ungodliness, I will choose to be at odds with this nation and its government rather than be at odds with God. Joshua 24, 15, Joshua said, if it doesn't please you to worship holy God, choose for yourself today the one you will worship. As for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. 
Now, if you claim to believe in God, and if you claim to love God, then you must obey God. The way we exalt God is to obey him. Those of us who, who love God will worship him. And the way we worship him is by being obedient to him. Now, the second thing that we don't do is we don't exalt ourselves. We, you know, we, we don't put on a show to make people think we're better than we are. You know, Christianity is not about me and it's not about you. It's about Jesus Christ. And we are to spend our entire lives lifting him up, celebrating him, putting him before the world. Back in Jesus's time, what would happen is these religious leaders would wear these beautiful long gowns and they would they would parade around town and they expected everybody to kind of kowtow down to them that that whenever they they would walk along people were kind of to step aside and say oh hello there master hello teacher and and they were supposed to make a big deal out of these religious leaders and whenever there was was a banquet you would invite the 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 most important religious leader that you had connection with and bring him to your banquet and set him in the seat of honor so that everyone would go oh wow you must be really important because you have so and so at your party and and that that was supposed to be like this good reflection on you and and whenever the the teachers of the religious law the these pharisees all of these kind of people when they would go to synagogue, they would sit in chairs up on a pedestal looking out at the people so that everybody would see them and, and go, oh, wow, they're, they must be really special. They must be really important because they're, they're up there. That was kind of, that, that was their thing. And so that's why Jesus says, beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplace and have the best seats in the synagogue and the places of honor at feast. Now, these religious leaders were not paid to be religious leaders, but it was considered an act of piety to show them hospitality. So what would happen is they would walk around and they would make it known that they have a need. And then it was like people would race to see who could who could give them money because that would make them look good. The problem was, is these guys exploited the people. They took advantage of them. Um, you know, they, they would, they would even take advantage of, of poor widows who had no means of support, who were just kind of scraping by with whatever they could get. And that's why Jesus says they devour widows houses for a pretense, make long prayers. So on the outside, they put on a good show, but on the inside, they were nothing other than greedy hypocrites. Now, this is where I want to challenge us. Are we 
hypocrites. Yes, we are. We are hypocrites, ladies and gentlemen, because we maybe don't do it exactly the way these people do, but we put on a show. We put on a pretense. We, we say everything's great and fine and hunky-dory and my life's fine and perfect, you know, and, and, and it's not. All of us are messed up. Every single one of us. And so what we need to do is be honest about that. As Alden said during the worship time, we come together and by worshiping together, we encourage each other. Part of the role of church is to fellowship with each other. And I know as Baptists, we think that means eat, but that is not correct. Fellowship means support. It means encourage. It means build each other up. So if someone is hurting and we are aware of that, then we come alongside them and say, let me help you. Let me support you. Let me give you some money if, it, if you're going through this tough time. Let me give you some encouragement. Let me come and help you with this or that. Let me do some things that show you that I care about you. We put our love into action. We don't just stand back and say, I'll pray for you. <laughs> Honk that. I'm not saying that prayer is bad. I'm saying we don't do that even. You know, we say we will, but how often do we say we'll pray for someone and then we don't do it? Let's, let's not just be putting on a show. You know, these, these guys just wanted to make themselves look good and they didn't care about anybody else. And my challenge to us is to honestly ask ourselves, do we care about anybody but ourselves? Do we honestly care if someone is hurting, if someone is struggling you know, we as a church need to be about the business of the kingdom of God. And what does that mean? It means that we are involved in helping people in the community. We are involved in reaching out and ministering in the name of Jesus. We are involved in helping bring people to, to a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus Christ. And the way we do that is by helping them, by meeting them in their need. And as we're meeting them in their need, we're saying, we're doing this because we are motivated out of the love for Jesus Christ. Let us show you how great and wonderful our God is. That's Christianity. Just sitting around saying, God is good. We sure do like God. That's not Christianity. Love is about putting our, our actions in place. There was a police officer who pulled a, a car over and he walks up and he asks the guy for his license and registration. And 
the, the guy driving says, what's wrong, officer? I, I wasn't speeding. I, I'm sure of that. And, and I haven't run a red light or something. What, what, what's the problem? And the officer says, no, no, you weren't speeding. But I saw you waving your fist and, and given the California howdy. You all know what that is, right? Um, given the California howdy to, to that car that you passed. And then I saw you pounding on the steering wheel. And, and, and I could see how red your face was was because you were so angry and, and you were clearly upset and you, you tried to cut off that truck that, that was trying to get past you. And, and he, and the guy says, well, none of that's a crime, is it? And he says, no, no, it's not a crime. But when I saw that your car had a Jesus loves you. And so do I bumper sticker. I assume the car had to be stolen. <laughs> It doesn't do any good to put on a show. You know, it, it doesn't do any good to pretend we love God or that we love other people when we don't. So this is what we need to do. If you're sitting here right now and you're saying, you know what, I, I, I don't really love God the way I should, then go to him and say, God, I, I need to come clean with you. I, I, I don't love you. Not, not like I should. And, and I realize that I don't love you like I should. And so first of all, please forgive me. And second of all, please help me draw me to you, Lord, help me to love you and help me to love the people that are around me. So fill me with your love that I can't stand it. Fill me with your love so much that I, that I just, I've got to be giving all the time. That's, that's way we're supposed to be. And so if you're not feeling that way, if you're not experiencing that, if that's not who you are, then there's something wrong and we need to pray and pray for each other. Ask, you know, we, we learned from our study of James that if you're struggling, ask people to pray with you and pray for you. You know, the apostle Paul wasn't afraid to admit that, that he had sin in his life, that he was, a, a, that he struggled. In 1 Timothy 1.15, Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners and I am the worst of them all. Now, I want you to notice that he doesn't say I was the worst of them all. He said, I am the worst, which means that right then at that moment, he was admitting that he was a sinner, that he had problems, that he struggled, that he had stuff about him that was not right. It's okay for us to be honest it's okay for us to stop and say, I want my life to exalt God and I don't want to exalt me. I want Jesus Christ to be exalted in my life. 
You know, this wasn't false humility on Paul's behalf uh, because he just understood that he was a sinner saved by grace. In the very next verse, verse 16, he says, but God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. What Paul's saying is he was the poster child of God's grace. That when you look at God's grace, what you see are sinners who have been saved, not because we're great people, but because God is a God of love and grace, that he's not going to give up on us. You know, God... <laughs> It, it is so easy. I, I know in my own life, it is so easy to kind of reach a point of just saying, I, I don't see how God can love me. I don't see how God can accept me. I, I don't see how God hasn't lost his patience with me and just said, I'm done with you. Because if you if you're being honest with yourself, you can't get away from the fact that we are all filled with sin. But the thing is, the wonderful thing is, is that your sin is not greater than Jesus's sacrifice. You cannot outdo what God has done. You know, and, and this is me speaking, not Paul. If Christ can save me. He can save anybody. And that was Paul's attitude. And that needs to be all of our attitude. And this is, needs to be the attitude that we have before each other instead of lying and being hypocrites and saying, I'm great. Everything's good with me. Liar. I mean, honestly, we're being liars when we act that way. Now, before I go any further, take a deep breath, because what I'm about to say, some of you are going to go. <laughs> the Bible, if, if you want to love God and you want to really cause God to be happy, then give away everything. And this isn't just about money. Love gives everything. This is about attitude. This is about loving sacrificially. That's in Jesus shows us here in Mark chapter 12. He says, and he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money in the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which made a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. 
So Jesus has moved it over to where the, the offering was given. And in that, the temple, it was the temple of the women, which is where this is taking place. There are these trumpet-shaped um, collection receptacles. And as I just read, there's rich people putting in big sums of money. And what they would do is they would want to draw attention to themselves. And so before they would go and put put their money in, they would have someone blow a trumpet, you know, and, and everyone would go, huh? And then, you know, you all have seen the drop the mic where you go, kink, and well, what they would do is they would make a big show out of putting their money into the offering after someone played a horn or a trumpet to draw all the attention to themselves. And that's what Jesus is describing here. And then comes this little widow lady and she comes in and she doesn't have hardly anything at all. She has less than a penny by our standards today, but it was all she had. So she puts in that smallest coin. It was two little tiny minted coins. And, you know, uh, the world, you know, we look at that and we go, <laughs> why'd you even bother? But from God's standpoint, God is saying, bingo, she gave everything she had. Let's think for a second about God's economy, how God works things. What did Jesus give to us? He gave us absolutely everything he had when he went to the cross. He held nothing back. He gave, he loved us so much that he gave his entire self on the cross. Now, the widow here, we see Jesus praising the widow, not because of the amount she gave, but because she gave everything she had. As Christians, as followers of Christ, we are to give everything we have. Jesus said in Luke 17, if you cling to your life, you will lose it. If you let go of your life, you will save it. In other words, give everything you have. It's God's way of doing things. You give everything. You hold on to nothing except Jesus. And you trust him for 100% of everything you are. Why? Because he will supply all of our needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. This is never about money, ever. You will never hear me preach on how you need to give more money. It is always about your heart condition in regard to God. You know, don't, don't lie to yourself and, and say, well, I, I'm just waiting until I'm a little more established and, and then I'll give. No, you won't. It, it, you won't. If you're not giving then you're never going to give until you have a change of heart. It's not about the size of the, your account. It's not about what you have or don't have. It's about what's going on in here. If you're struggling with having a giving nature, having a generous spirit, then may I suggest to you that your issue is one between you and God. 
and you are struggling with accepting or understanding what God has done for you, it has nothing to do with the resources that you have in your life. You know, um, too often we think that, that, well, if I just had more, if I just had, if I just had it, no, it, it's, it's relational. It's not financial. It's never about finances. You know, true love looks like a person who is so committed to Jesus, so in love with Jesus that they just cannot stop pouring out for him to him. That's, that's the goal. We are to exalt Jesus with our lives. Romans two says that we are to be, or 12 two says we are to be living sacrifices that we, we give our life in sacrifice to Jesus. It's not about us. We don't want to focus on who we are and what we have and everything that we have, we lay at the foot of the cross, everything. And then we say, God, it's yours. It's yours to use, to do however you see fit. I'm going to live to serve you. There's a, the old line that says, what shall I give thee, master? Thou hast given all for me, not just a part or a half of my heart. I will give all to thee. Let's pray. Jesus, first of all, thank you that you love us unconditionally. Thank you that your love for us is not based on us giving it back correctly. Thank you for that, because truly, I know I would be in deep trouble, and I suspect most all of us would. Father, my prayer today is that you help us to grasp how great and good and wonderful you are so that we, we become loving as a result. As we sing Amazing Grace, it talked about the fact that your grace taught us to fear. And then our, that f same fear led us to your grace. Father, help us to get this. Help us to, to let it sink in through the, the work and the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit. Help us, Father, to break free from, from doing things the same old way, the, the religious way, and just going through the motions. And instead, help us, Father, to, to really become people set free by you, set free in the, the freedom of your grace changed forever because you got a hold of us. Father, that is my prayer. I, I ask in the powerful, mighty name of Jesus, relying on, on just that simple truth that Jesus said that if we ask anything in his name that is according to your will, that it'll be done. And Father, I know that this is your will. I'm praying within what you want. And I know that. So Father, I just thank you in advance for what you are going to be doing and are doing in our lives. And I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen.